And on today's podcast show, the MS Monthly Podcast Show, we're going to talk about the South Downs Way. Both Simon and myself started the South Downs Way a number of months ago. We've got three stages left. And last Friday, we walked from Househead to Alfriston, St. Andrew's Church. What a beautiful church that is, set in an idyllic town, not too far from our end point, which is Eastbourne. We're going to do that last walk in a couple of weeks. But each week, both Simon and Michael, we walk and we talk. And one of the things we were speaking about on Friday was this. Why is entrepreneurship not taught in school? And I just want to share something with our listeners today, Simon, with regard to financial independence. And this is why we do it. Secondary schools have inconsistent standards with regards to teaching basic financial skills. College students are not taught about how to manage their finance, despite many taking on thousands of pounds in student loans and credit card debt to pay for school. The result is a younger generation facing financial deficits without a solid foundation for how to save, invest and grow. And when I read that paragraph, why is entrepreneurship not taught in school, do you think? We did talk about this, Michael, on our long walk. And, um, you know, for me, it's one of those really interesting things because I remember when my daughters were in primary school and we ran a project with the school helping uh, a class of uh, young, young kids. They were but probably 10, 11 years old, helping them to uh, create their own business. They were all given... 20 pounds in cash from memory <laughs> and they had to start up a little business with this money and we came in and advised them you know they had to write a little business plan we worked through it and we were mentoring them and it was for a period of a couple of months and the results were phenomenal some of these kids were coming back with 200 pounds you know from the 20 pounds investment and it was a real lesson in entrepreneurship but that to me and from our conversation that to me just seems to be you know a one-off it's not happening in every school uh, and, and nothing like that happened with my daughters in their secondary education and nothing seems to have happened like it in their university education and I think it's a, a big mistake you know we need to teach our young people how to be more entrepreneurial and there's so many great lessons you can learn even if you're going to go and get a job if you're entrepreneurial in the way that you approach that job you're going to be far more successful in life and I scratched my head when we had that conversation I was scratching my head thinking well why is this yeah why is it why is entrepreneurship 
And, and, and what is entrepreneurship exactly? I think it's the art of negotiation, the art of salesmanship, the art of turning, like you say, £20 into £200 to make a profit. But why is it not taught in school? And why are our children being taught subjects like trigonometry, which it may be important right now at school, but I've been in business for 20 years, Simon, and I don't think I've ever used trigonometry in business. No, I don't think I've used trigonometry once in my life <laughs> since school. And I, I think that's it. You know, we're teaching stuff in schools that are only relevant to maybe 1% of the children in the schools, but they're easy things to measure, aren't they? And schools, it would seem to me, are very much run um, on based on league tables, uh, GCSE results, uh, with no real thought to what does the world of industry and business really want from, from our young people now. There's too many young people coming out of education and they're just not employable. You know, they've not been taught any employability skills, any entrepreneurial skills. And you're right, it's things like the art of negotiation, the art of presentation, you know, presenting yourself, being able to communicate well, being able to, to be creative, you know, creativity. All these elements are not wrapped up into an entrepreneurial program of sorts or, or business studies. You see, see, I would prefer to replace some of the subjects that they are taught with business studies models or business studies modules. Such as? Well, you know, I'm, I can only go by my old school days and, and I just think there was quite a number of lessons that were a waste of time for me. You know, I, I, studied, I studied history, the Russian Revolution. It hasn't helped me since once since I left school. If I could have replaced all that uh, history, all those history lessons with learning about business skills, you know, because... I've learned business skills, but only through error. I've learned them and they've been expensive. They've cost me money. Uh, I failed to negotiate well, it cost me money. So I realized, hang on a minute, I'm not very good at negotiating. So I, I learned, you know, I picked up the books, I went on a course, I, I started to learn the art of negotiation. That pays you back tenfold because when you can negotiate better, you're making more profit, you know. Why wasn't I taught that at school? Because actually it's not difficult to learn and it's quite good fun. How old were you when you first had an interest in business? Well, I was 11 years old. You know, I used to go on the markets with my dad. He was a market trader. And the great thing about market traders is they know how to sell. You know, they stood there promoting their wares my dad was great you know get your get your black bags here get your bin liners get your dusters over here only a pound that kind of thing and you, you start to learn that you know you've got to be visible you've got to be vocal when you're when you're a market trader it's you, you really learn the art of selling when you're a market trader so your father taught you the art of salesmanship on the market trade stall. 
Yes. So why why is it important that entrepreneurship is actually taught in school? So isn't it a thing that you should learn from your parents or not? Well, not not uh, yeah. everyone is as lucky as I was, you know, that I had a dad who was in business and I used to love going on the markets with him every Saturday. It was the, the highlight of my week. You know, not everybody's like that. Parents are in jobs, maybe, you know, they're, they're out working. I don't think parents spend as much time as we would like with our kids, you know, to, to share our knowledge, our insights. And we're in a world now where kids seem to be stuck on mobile devices, you know, learning other kind of stuff. And, and um, I think it's a shame. I think we should go back to basics. We should try to understand, you know, what is life all about? Life is about you know, survival, um, success, uh, getting a job, being successful or starting a business and being successful. Either way, if we were to teach some fundamental principles, I think it would help people to get off to a much better start than maybe you or I did, Michael. Do you think we're kidding ourselves to think that everyone needs to start a business or go into business? Because my mum and dad, when I first started out, was son, Go and get a job to pay the bills and get a mortgage. Mm. In hindsight, how wrong was that mm. information? Now, I don't blame my mum or my dad in what they told me because that's what they were told yes. when they were growing up. And therefore, that's the inf only information that I was bound to get. And you see, here's the thing. The interesting thing about the whole conversation is if they have not been taught, how will they teach me and how will I teach my children? And if it's not taught in school, when our parents don't know it anyway, are we not being too harsh that entrepreneurship isn't really being taught in school? Yeah, but so many entrepreneurs exist in this country, Michael, but we, we don't we we don't know about it or they don't have the opportunities. Maybe. I mean, look at America. You can name all the entrepreneurs. You can you can see the success of the entrepreneur in America, but you don't necessarily see it so much here in the UK. And yet there's five million businesses. There's five million people who started up at some point or another you know, of the working population. Now, that might equate to only one in 10 people for example, but it's such an important part of our economy. It's, it's such an important part of the social agenda, the economic agenda. You know, we talk a lot about the NHS, but what funds the NHS? The economy funds the NHS. Where does the economy come from? It comes from vibrant, successful business owners like you and I making a contribution by employing people, by paying our taxes, and I think it's, um, you know, a wrong, it's very wrong if we don't give it a priority right from the get-go at the, at the school age. So do you think we should all be in business? Or are just some people more destined to be in business because they're an entrepreneur? Or are they destined to be an employer? Employee, sorry. Well, I think, you know, you, you, 
at the age of 11, I was beginning to realise that I really enjoyed this, this business world. And uh, I always have done. Uh, and, and although I went and got a job at the age of 16, the reason why I went and got a job is because I went to a careers session with my careers advisor who told me to go and get a job in a bank. And that's what I went and did. You know, <laughs> there were no discussions around, you know, what are your options? Have you thought about, you know, going into business? What do you enjoy the most? If you'd have asked me, what do you enjoy the most? I would have said going on the markets on Saturdays. And they would advise you against that career move. I'm sure of it. And I think to this day, they still advise against. Well, it's interesting because we had that conversation about your son, didn't we? And his experience. I think maybe that's worth sharing with the listeners. Yeah, it was really interesting. I was speaking to my son uh, last week who had a careers meeting with a careers advisor at his school. She took him out of the class and sat him down and said, so Finn, what do you want to do when you grow old? and leave school he said I want to build my own business and the first thing she said to him or so it seemed from the information he gave me was she was trying to dissuade him from going into business and the sorts of questions that she was asking him was so what's your second option how are you going to pay for your mortgage And this is okay, she says it, but this is the limiting belief about our own ability that kind of keeps the youngsters in a place that keeps them from powering forward into a career or position that they're really looking for. And I think that is quite misguided. So much so... I'm tempted to email the school and ask, what is the point of giving a child a careers advice meeting and you're dissuading them from going and following their dream, their passion? Yes, I think that's bad. It's a, it's a bad example. But, you know, I can add to that with my daughter's own experience. You know, they went to grammar school And the conversations were all about, you know, you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a scientist or you're going to be, you know, some some, um, you know, it's a successful school. So they wanted to churn out successful people into the world of work. And the school is very much set up to churn out uh, people ready for the world of work in the sense of at least having the qualifications or the ability to get to university and get, you know, degrees and and what have you from there. But very little seems to be on the agenda around who in the school is the next, you know, the next Richard Branson, for example. Where is the next Richard Branson? Where is the next Dyson? Where are the next British entrepreneurs and they don't need to be at that level but you know we've got some amazing businesses in Kent for example and you have where you are in London that were started in people's bedrooms <laughs> and and now they're employing 100 people 200 people and they're fantastic businesses uh, grown off the back of an entrepreneur 
entrepreneurial spirit should uh, get that word right um but they're, they're grown because when you interview and you speak to the entrepreneurs they'll all say the same as you and i michael that we we almost learned as we went along no one taught us this stuff we learned more by our mistakes than anything else and very costly mistakes as well and yeah. an awful lot of time yeah. So, you know, men, you mentioned uh, the British entrepreneurs and you named three or four there. But why do you think there's so many more American entrepreneurs, the likes of Jim Bezos or Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, mm. to name uh, Bill Gates, to name a few? Why can we name more American true founders, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, in the States, and we can't name as many in the UK. Yeah, I think we're influenced, aren't we, by what goes on in the United States. And, and in fact, this podcast, when you just take this as an example, Michael, I think what's happening in the business community is we, you and I, and other business people are seeing this gap. That We're seeing that there's, there's very little education going on to support fellow entrepreneurs or people who are thinking about going into business so we create we're creating it ourselves we're coming up with podcasts with there's youtube channels now there's all sorts of uh, support and help that we want to give back to help other aspiring entrepreneurs in in the uk and i think that's a really good thing that we're seeing now where that where there is a gap where it's not being met by the schools there are plenty of places that young people can go now and listen and watch and um and start to learn about the entrepreneurship and i think the reason why we hear about more entrepreneurs in america is simply the fact that they're they're better at nurturing uh the entrepreneurial spirit in America, um, they, they're more supportive, particularly in the area of coaching, mentoring, podcasting. Uh, it's all out there. There's a plethora of it. And there's lots of encouragement in the US. When I've been over to the US, I found it a very encouraging, albeit quite ruthless at times, business environment. Whereas in the UK, you know, straight from the age you know we're leaving school the encouragement from the school and the parents is go and get a job but you know nowadays we even with this podcast simon people in the states people around the world can listen to this podcast so there is an awful lot of information uh, out there about this subject to kind of motivate the youngsters as they leave school to take the chance, to take the plunge mm. and go it alone and yeah. build their team around being successful. And with an ultimate goal of becoming financially free. I know this term is easily kicked around nowadays. Everyone wants to become financially free, to live the life that they want and make their money work hard for them so they don't have to. But, you know, the lessons are limitless mm. on podcasts now, on YouTube. But where, if you were 11 years of age right now, where would be the first thing you would go to learn? Oh, what a good question. 
Michael. Well, I, I, the great thing, again, about these podcasts is the platforms that they sit on. You know, you can go into Spotify, which is one of the platforms that I know that the MS show goes out on. And you just, just type in business skills, entrepreneurial advice, that kind of thing. And, and the search engines of these platforms now are superb. They'll take you to the most listened to podcasts on that subject. Um, I also know that there's this platform Club Clubhouse, I think it's called, isn't it? Where it's, it's literally 24 hours, seven days a week of people speaking about different topics. And you can select entrepreneurialism and business in, in there and get to listen to some of the, you know, some very, very successful people share their insights. So it's not just about Googling things anymore. You know, it's about going to the very platforms where there's good information coming out of and listening in, asking questions, because some of them are quite interactive, particularly on Clubhouse. And uh, I think that's that's where I'd start as a young person. Pretty much every 11-year-old I know has got a mobile phone <laughs> and they can access everything from there. So if you were going to start your business uh, fresh as a, an 11-year-old right now, Simon, what's the sort of product, what's the sort of technology that you would innovate to put out there to the masses? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Michael, to be honest, <laughs> because I'm still very traditional in my thinking. You know, I, I think that there's a very big market just for literally knocking on people's doors. I think that that salesman approach is incredibly uh, insightful. You learn a huge amount when you're knocking on doors. You learn the art of rejection, the art of negotiation. You learn to sell. Uh, the very best salespeople that I've come across are ex-double glazing salespeople that used to be knocking on doors, you know? Um, that's where you can cut your teeth. Uh, that, now, that's not a good long-term strategy, but it's a very good start point. And once you build up that customer base, then you've got to have, of course, you must have a website that interacts, that offers product for sale or services for sale. And I think the key for the whole thing is to find a way of making every sale an easy sale. Make it easy for clients. See, your website in particular, Michael, um, Easy Crane. If I want any office product, a pen, paper, chairs, anything like that, yours is by far, I feel like I'm advertising for you now, um, but, but, but by far the most useful, easy to use, easy to order website, even better than Amazon, personally. Uh, and, I, and I think, and Amazon have got it right as well, of course, haven't they? Because not only do you order product on or services on the Amazon, but they also recommend other products that you could be buying as well. Well, thanks for that endorsement, Simon. I would say, going back to your initial point of what would you be doing if you would start up again? And you would go knocking on doors. As you know, that's how I started. I just simply knocked on doors. I wasn't the most talented, I have to say. 
But I can honestly say I burnt the most rubber on the soles of my feet as I went pounding the roads every single day, knocking on doors. And I have to agree, the more doors you knock on, the better you become and the more successful you come become. But it does take time. But let me go back to another point we mentioned about the American people doing, or the entrepreneurs, the American entrepreneurs doing it so much more efficiently. Now, let's take Facebook, for example. They've got billions on their platform. So if you compare the advice you gave me there about knocking on doors, opposed to Facebook, We've only got a fine amount of time to learn and leverage your customers. So actually, for us, being traditional entrepreneurs, knocking on doors worked for us then, but I'm surely thinking this isn't, isn't the right way to do it now. And I know during COVID-19, that we've had around now for 14, 15, maybe 16 months now, that the winners are the companies that are introducing productivity hacks and making their time work harder for them in terms of leverage, finding more customers, making it easy for customers to interact with them, and that is how they're becoming much, much more profitable right now. So as we're coming out of this pandemic, they've got the systems in place. The companies like Salesforce, the companies like Asana, HubSpot, the CRMs people, they're managing this process much better than the traditional entrepreneurs of three years ago. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's all about technology nowadays, isn't it? And that, that's why I started my comment by saying I'm the traditional business owner. And I, I think there's a place for the traditional business owner and entrepreneur. I think if you want to be the next Elon Musk, then you absolutely have to be right in the heart of digital technology, the digital technological revolution. You have to be looking at where there are gaps um, uh, and, and where there are gaps that will meet a, a big audience, the needs of a big audience, you know, and a lot of that now sits in the mobile technology and apps um, and, and, and finding, you know, what is the quickest solution for people? People are looking for speed, aren't they? They don't want to mess about. They want to be able to just press a button and they've got what they want. And, you know, apps like Just Eat have flourished, haven't they, during the pandemic. So it's meeting the needs of, of a population that's becoming ever more um, technologically savvy itself. But, you know, we still all need the human touch. We still all want and desire to you know, meet with people to, you know, to go to a restaurant. How many people are really hankering after the day the restaurants open that we can go and sit out and have a meal? Takeaways, great, but going out for a meal is, is wonderful, you know? And so I think that we've got to get the blend right. There's a, there's, 
there's a gap in any market. Yeah, and just to add on to that, Deliveroo. It's really truly amazing, isn't it? How Justy, Deliveroo have come to the market during this time. When I first saw Just Eat and Deliveroo, I didn't really understand the business model because, like we, would go to the fish and chip shop or McDonald's to buy our Big Mac and chips and our milkshake. And now to think this service is being delivered to our door for sometimes less than £7, it's an incredible thought process and this is where the true leaders of tomorrow are really hibernating how hanging out and the theory and the strategy that they must be thinking is i have a market i have a unique product how can i meet my market's expectations with what i've got as an innovation and a creation to propel my profits. And it's a really interesting situation that this creates. Mm, But I want to take you back to the traditional way. I've been, I've employed hundreds of salespeople to go to market to sell my products. And during this time, there's been a handful of people that I can say were true, true salespeople who really understood the need, the wish, the want of what I had to provide them and could meet a client's need. I'm not surprised that I've only ever found a handful on the basis that the the art of salesmanship is not taught in school or is not taught either. And in fact, going one more than that, the amount of people I speak to who dislike sales people per se, they think they can sell snow to the Eskimos. They can, they've got all the gift of the gab. And this is such an outdated theory. Because someone who talks too much is not listening as much as they should. And if you're not listening, how the hell can you meet someone's needs? Exactly. So, yeah. so from a salesperson's perspective, where are we going wrong here? Well, you and I have both learned a huge amount uh, from Toastmasters, haven't we? Toastmasters is a really great way of understanding the art of communication and great salespeople have mastered the art of communication, in my view, the very best salespeople, because they have a number of ingredients, a number of tools in their toolkit, if you like. One of them, and probably the biggest one, is the art of listening. Um, but, but, But having said that, To have the art of listening as a really good skill, you've also got to have the art of asking really good questions. Yeah, because you've got to be able to ask that great question of someone and then be able to listen to that answer. 
you know, because it's, it's in the listening to the answer to that question that you establish a need, someone's that, need. And it's really interesting also that the amount of people that answer their own question. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And it happens so frequently. And normally it's around the, the subject of price, for example. Mm. What are you looking to pay for that? Mm. Or yeah. my price is $29.99. Is that too expensive? And the amount of people I've seen and witnessed that ask a question and they don't pause long enough. Mm. So actually, in reality, you know, it's a very simple thing. Ask the question, then shut up and wait for the answer. It's like playing a game of tennis. You hit the ball over the net. You can only play the ball when the ball comes back. Yes, that's a really good analogy. And sometimes I find myself doing that. You know, you ask a question, you're not getting the answer straight away. So you ask another question because maybe you think the person hasn't understood the question you've just asked. So you hit them with another question. In other words, you're, you're just picking up another tennis ball and whacking that one down the court. Now they've got two tennis balls coming at them. They don't know which one to answer. Uh, and I think we, we, when we see good salespeople at work, what we see is someone who's very articulate, very clever in the way that they've batted that question across and they're waiting for the answer and they're silent and they're just waiting and waiting for that answer. And the answer might not be what they want to hear, but it, they are then able to at least process that answer and come back then with another good question. Because you can't move into making any suggestions or offer any solutions until you've established the need. And this all really ties into the name entrepreneurship. Remember, nothing moves until something is sold, Simon. Yes, yes. And you know, the best salespeople, believe it or not, that I've met over my time, are the people that say, I hate sales. I'm useless at sales. So why, why do you think this is, that they make the best salespeople? Well, it was Robert Louis Stevenson, wasn't it, who said, everybody lives by selling something. Now, I've heard many people say, I don't like sales. But actually, we're selling ourselves all the time. You know, when I was young, go to the nightclub, you'd be chatting away, chatting up the girls, whatever. You know, you're selling yourself and probably badly in my case. But since then, in every walk of life and every time you're interacting with another human being, in a way, you're selling yourself or you're selling something, you're selling an idea, a thought a product, a service, whatever it is that we, we, we live by selling. We move forward by selling. And that's either individually or corporately. So I think it's just a mindset piece, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, selling is something actually we don't need to do. Listening and establishing the need and then matching that need with what we have is 
when the sale takes place. I couldn't agree more. And on that note, let's take a short break there. And when we come back, we will continue this conversation. So that comes on the audio. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good, good. Gosh, we're a long way in because it's 43 minutes. So yeah. that would be too much. Oh, no. Phoning me. Yeah, sorry. What are we going to talk about now? Um, let's take it back to the, to the walk, shall we? Okay. Um, yeah, let's take it back to the walk. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. And now we're coming back for the second part of the M&S monthly podcast show. So as I mentioned at the outset, we walked from Househead to Alfriston, which is stage 10 to 12 on the South Downs Way. Me and Simon have been doing this quite frequently, a stage at a time. And each time we go, it's amazing what comes out of our walking and talking event. It's so much better than sitting in a stuffy office. The creativity that happens during these walks is amazing. And I really encourage all our listeners, Simon, to find a walk, take her friend along, and walk and talk. Yes. So what was your take away from our walk last week? I always take stuff away from our walk, which is why I always look forward to them, Michael. Uh, I love the whole concept of it, and especially something like South Downs Way, where you have to stage, you have to create stages and phases of the route. You know, we actually talked about, could you do it all in one go? And I don't think either of us would enjoy that, because when you've walked for 17 miles, what you need at the end of it is a nice pub and a few days rest afterwards. (laughs) Um, But for me, one of the biggest takeaways is just the, the fact that when you're in an environment like the South Downs Way, which is so diverse, you're as close to nature as you can possibly be. It's amazing how that starts to spark all those neuro set, neuron cells in our brain into creative thinking. And we, we end up having some really interesting conversations about the world, about uh, like we did in respect of entrepreneurialism and education and life itself and the meaning of life. And it's phenomenal. It's just great. It, and although, you know, I think what's happening is Our brains are sparking away and we're creative, but by the same token, our brains are resting. They're resting from all the stuff that goes on in the office, all the mundane stuff, the difficult stuff. You know, they're resting from trying to solve problems all day long, trying to seek new solutions all day long. You're resting. Now, for me, my role, I sit a lot as well in the office you know, or I go out to clients and I sit at their premises. So I'm doing the opposite with my body now. Instead of resting my body, I'm working my body by walking. And it's not an easy walk, is it? 
come on, we have some pretty steep hills to climb and uh, uh, mountains and valleys. And so we are enabling our, both our body and our mind to do something that it's not normally doing. And in that process, we're creating rest and creativity all at the same time. For me, I think my biggest takeaway, not only from last week when we did stages 10 to 12, was the whole duration of the South Downs Way, some 110 miles approximately. So it starts off in Winchester and it ends in Eastbourne. And what really gets me is how difficult the terrain was and how fast we cover the terrain. Now, that may be a little bit of a complex thing to make note of. However, I actually think the South Downs Way walking, per se, is very similar to time in business, where you have your hills, your steep hills, your descents, where it's relatively easy. And one of the interesting things for me along this whole process is the bit in the middle now, I know we've spoken about this before, Simon, the grunt work, mm. the period of the walk where nothing really happens. You start off at point A, you know you're going to point B, come rain, shower, wind, mud, any terrain, it just feels like a bit of a grunt a bit of a mundane, boring old stuff. But you see, you've got your mind set on the destination and you just trudge away. And you know the end will come. Maybe not in the next hour. Maybe not in the next two hours. But by the end of the day and by the nightfall, you get to the end point. And that's been really quite interesting for me because... This is very similar to business. When I first started out in business 20 years ago, I felt quite euphoric for quite some time. And people talk about the honeymoon period of any business. You know, it's all new, it's shiny, you know, you're getting new stuff, you're making a difference. You can see your goals, your vision come into life. And then once that ends, the honeymoon period, there's a, there's a part in the middle where it's grunt. Mm. You don't know how long it's going to go on yeah. foot but yeah. you know you have to do this part and I think this is the part where most people think this is too tough this isn't for me and that's where they stop certainly we're out the other side of the grunt work now because we're coming to the end of the walk towards Eastbourne and we can see the sea we can see the destination in mind and one of the things that I've been fascinated by this whole process as well about is how in the last couple of times we've been out for a walk, we're not just doing one leg, we're trying to do two legs because we can see the finishing line coming up into the horizon and we're thinking, oh dear, we're, ne we're near the end here. Are they, let's push on, let's push on. And, and what we should be doing is just taking each step as it comes challenging ourselves just to finish one stage and end, relax, recover, recuperate, get your energies and then come back again. So in, in, for me, 
the takeaway for the whole walk is the psychology that in, envelopes the whole process. 110 miles. No, I wouldn't want to do it all in one day. 20 years it's taken me in business. Yeah, sure. I would have loved to have done it in 10. But that was my own doing why it wasn't. But I, I, I think I just need to recover, recuperate. And in a couple of weeks, we will get the last leg done. Because we we've got our goal closely defined and it's in our mind's eye. Yeah. The, the analogies with doing something like the walk uh, or a project like the walk is so close to the project of starting up and running a business, isn't it? Completely. And ultimately, what is the end game? You know, what is the exit strategy for our businesses? Because if you have that in mind right from the get-go, then you might make fewer mistakes because you have a full and complete plan. Start, middle, end. Uh, and, and, and we have a plan. We have a plan for that walk. We have a plan for our businesses. And they, they compose of those three elements. You know, what, what's the start? What's the middle? Let's get the middle so it starts to become a well-oiled machine. There are days when we were walking through all kinds of different weather, but the one step was going in front of the next. Sometimes our heads were down, but we were marching on through. And it was a well-oiled machine in that sense. We had the right provision, the right equipment, the right clothing, and we got through. And now we're coming towards the end. You're right, Michael. It's been incredible, actually. The weather has been so amazing because it is like, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, the sun on the horizon, you know, the, 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 it's like when you reach that point in business, you sell your business, you've now got financial freedom. If you can get your business to that place, it's a wonderful feeling. And so we see the end of this walk as a wonderful feeling and wonderful experience. And we're gonna have a big old celebration when we get to the end. I think that's really, really important that people take that and they look at, you know, where are you going right now? Do you have a plan in your business? Are you at the beginning? Are you in the middle? Are you getting close to the end? What is your strategy? Make sure you've planned that in one step at a time. It doesn't happen in one go. It might take 20 years, but just one step forward, one in front of the other is how you how you achieve success. And, you know, I have to say, they do say start with the end in mind. Mm. And some 20 years ago, I did actually start with a very clear goal, a vision of what I wanted to be doing. And I'm not too far from what I set out to achieve, to be yeah. honest, in my business life. And certainly when we started the South Downs Way at the back end of last year, we knew we were going to arrive at Eastbourne. And Eastbourne is clearly in sight right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this podcast up there, Simon. Wonderful. Have you got one last comment to share with our listeners today? There's one thing that springs to mind, and uh, we saw it on a number of occasions on the South Downs Way. And I would like to share that, actually which is that when you're on the top of the ridge, 
and there's quite a number of ridges along the South Downs Way. When you're on the top, you get to see how, how steep and how big and wide the valley is below. And that valley might be where you've come from. What was really interesting was we had very heavy clouds and sunshine all around us. And we could see the rain, couldn't we? When the rain was coming out of the clouds, you could see it. It was always in the valley. It was hitting the valleys, even steam was coming up off the earth. We were on the ridge and we stayed dry. And that happened several days uh, throughout that trip, didn't it? Uh, and for me, the analogy and the lesson is when we're in the valleys, we can get wet. It can feel pretty grim, you know, and that's what it's like in business sometimes. The grunt work. The grunt work. And when we're on the ridge, when we're looking from the ridge, we have a much better view. We're dry. It's more comfortable up there. And that is when you're at your best, when you're up on that ridge. So I'd encourage people to build into your plan and to just take that away. When are you on the ridge? How can you get on top of that ridge? Because from there, your viewpoint, your view of the world, your view of your life and your business is so much better. And when you do reach the peak, be grateful when you get there, because peaks are very red, are very short-lived. Yeah. On that note, Simon, thanks for your time and thank you to our listeners. Please don't forget to click the button and follow this podcast for the next show next week. Thank you.